This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we have been off for just last week. We missed the Utah loss and the Portland win and the Golden State win. So recapping those, uh, we were texting uh, for the Utah game and, you know, we potted that we didn't exactly expect to win that game and uh boy it was it was pretty messy there as utah just kind of rained threes and various catch and shoot and pull up situations that just kept taking the lakers off guard like they yes they were made some ridiculous shots like i think joe ingles and donovan mitchell both made these like last second three heaves you know that normally don't go in but Overall, actually, they just got really good three-point looks and just absolutely killed the Lakers. So as we kind of catch up on this last week of Lakers basketball, what did you see from that game that uh, you can try and unpack for us? It was a tough one going into it. We, on the pod, were I, we tried to be fairly transparent. Um, I was like mentally preparing myself for that game and uh, financially preparing myself as well. <laughs> and Same. we were texting throughout that one. Um, <laughs> we, I tried to mitigate my losses emotionally with, with financial monetary gains yes. and it worked out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that one was tough. It was one of those games where like, I think it's really easy to look at the, look at that game live and just be like, oh man, like why, you know, if only you could have defended the pull-up shooter and then also defended the lob, which like nobody can do. Um, maybe Anthony Davis can do it. And there were 20 of those situations all game long because Portland, I'm sorry, not Portland, Utah, time after time put you in those tough situations. And it was given their lineups, the lineups they have, the alignments they were using and the actions that were being run, you're going to be giving up threes or you're going to be giving up shots at the rim or those dunk lobs to go bare. So it's it's just a really tricky, tricky situation. The Lakers did what they could. Um, it, it was an ugly game. My like... The, my pardoning thought with that one would be once we get to the playoffs, if we play this team, we're going to be switching against them, I think. And this roster on the Lakers side is built to switch a lot more than it has so far. And Utah is a team that's not built to beat switching. They're built to beat everything else. And we showed them a lot of different things and they beat the hell out of all of it. And they shot really well from three, but honestly, like not all that much better than they have been. They're just a really, really good three point shooting team. But 
if you start switching against them and like Gobert tries to post up, he scored four points all season in, in post ups. Teams switch against them. He does not punish those four points in Ouch. 14 possessions. Uh, so that is not going to help them. He's never been a post player. He's not a post player. And then this is also the second worst perimeter isolation team between Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, who are all good at different parts of their game. And they're all good dynamic pick and roll ball handlers, but just one V one. They're not really that team. And the Lakers have some good one V one types of players. And even if we're switching, I'd feel decent about who we'd be able to throw out there against them. So especially adding AD back to this mix, I'm, this isn't a team I'm as worried about in a playoff setting as I was going into that game and was fully expecting us to lose that one. Just, you know, hopefully not by that much, but it ended up being by that much. We didn't see crazy games from like LeBron or Kuz or what we thought we'd have to get to keep it close. So I, I'm trying to move on from that one as quickly as possible. And it seemed like the Lakers had a similar thought and, and did a good job of helping me forget about that really, really bad loss the other day. I think that's a good read. And I think it's probably worth it if you're Frank Vogel to not give them any film on the on the switching and let them even with your, you know, changed rotations because of injury, you know, just giving them any tape in the future will help them adjust and, you know, just try and do what you've been doing for this stretch, you know, and see how it works against the team. And like we said, it doesn't like they kept getting. You know, and to your point, yeah, AD maybe can step up on a shooter and recover enough to bat a ball away. But even he, you know, that's nearly impossible. But he can be in two places at once. But not all the time. It's optional. Right, right. Yeah, he's like you can we can. I don't know. And over the past couple of weeks, I've seen more and more of this. We can be pretty hyper not us but it, it can be hyperbolic talking about ad and what he can do defensively and he's excellent he's so good he's one of the best but he can't do like not everybody can defend you know a 12 foot jump shot and a lob at the same time almost nobody can do that so like he might have gotten a tip here or there and he would have make, made life a little bit more difficult but at the end of the day you can't stop everything utah does if they make the right read unless you're switching so right same game plan, insert AD. We probably do better defensively, but he's not – I don't want anyone to be watching these games and just be like, ah, oh, well, you know, just insert AD and everything's fixed. It, it'll be better, but it's still – there's in, more for certain teams than others, but Utah is built to beat whatever you throw at them, whether you're catch hedging or double teaming or drop coverage. Well, and to be honest too, missing Anthony Davis against the Utah Jazz, AD matches up really well against them because of his size and a ability to kind of like take Gobert off the dribble. And, mm. and, and especially defensively, there's this player I remember, and I know, you know, Utah is a little, little, definitely better than last year, but last year where AD, you know, contested a shot at the rim and then somebody kicks it out. And I remember him blocking like a Joe Ingles three, you know what I mean? Just like really just being everywhere. And some of these guys, Boyan uh, isn't the most athletic, so he can maybe, you know, attack and, and, you know, get back to another guy. But, you know, again, to your point, this is not what you bank on. It's just, you know, little things, <laughs> having a guy that could be in a couple places per possession, on defense could really give you a little bit of an edge. But ultimately, mm-hmm. Tim, you're not going to win a game if you shoot 
21.4% from three, and they shoot 46.3% from three. And this is without garbage time uh, per cleaning the glass. Like you just, you know, especially with any level of volume, Utah shot 83.3% at the rim. They were just getting all their shots they want, you know, and they were killing it. And the Lakers just didn't seem like they were ready or willing to to play at the intensity level that the Jazz were at, at least in this matchup. So tough to move on, or excuse me, tough loss, but we'll move on. Um, the next game looked a lot better, you know, uh, facing that Portland team. And Tib, I, I noticed this too. I know you were tweeting about it recently, but Lakers kind of went back to that old like blitzing and double teaming Dame. And in the second half, they really started to, like trap straight up instead of just catch hedge, you know, in those really high, uh, you know, like step up screens for Dame. Yeah, it was something we did last playoffs. We did it a bit in the first matchup, especially like the double teams, just like not in an action, just straight like end of quarter. We're going to send a second dude at you. And Portland didn't handle it well in the playoffs. They didn't handle it well last matchup in this game. They, they should have been a little bit more ready for it. It only happens a couple times, but L.A. has shown that's kind of what we want to do against them. And I thought the Lakers did a good job scrambling and recovering. And the rotational defense of this team was really sharp. I thought Schroeder did an excellent job. He's a guy that has been a little bit more hit and miss with his rotations, but he... Coming back, first game back, was doing such a good job at the point of attack, but then also off ball, rotating down when he needed to or stepping in to try to take charges. And something that I noticed that has been going on, but it really stood out to me this game and in the Warriors game is that when players are driving at the rim or taking these shots at the rim that are a little bit crazy, a little out of control, we don't try to contest super late. We're not going to give you free throws if we can't like it's either I'm a shot blocker, I'm going to try to block your shot. Or I'm Marcus, so I'm going to do my verticality thing. Or THD kind of does it too. Everybody mm-hmm. else is like trying to take a charge. And because of that, we saw Dame end up taking these really wild layups that just weren't going in. We saw it in the Warriors game. These are players that like they're just used to getting fouled in those situations and then taking those shots at the at the free throw line. So that is just a little extra thing that stood out to me as well. But like you said, yeah, L.A., Keyed up on Dame, um, we were running catch hedges. We threw some blitzes in there, threw some double teams in there. I thought Portland did a good job countering it. We ended up seeing the Lakers switch a little bit at a certain point, and he was Dame was just driving by our bigs. Um, but that again, the back line rotations were really good, so that mitigated. You know, most teams aren't going to do well defensively if you can just drive by the on-ball defender. Um, so that was good. And then we actually saw a possession or two where the Lakers sent. Like there was a ball screen and instead of giving Dame a big man to switch an ISO against or a hedge to attack because he was splitting a lot of those. He was dribbling between the big man that stepped out and and his guard that was fighting over. What we did instead was we had Alex Caruso flying like a missile from the weak side (laughs) and become a new defender. And then we just kind of scrambled his man out of there. So it was, you know, don't even get your big man involved in the action. He'll stick with the roller. The roller won't be open if they pop or they roll. Um, and as long as you zone up weak side and I mean, like it's hard to be prepared against something like that. The Lakers have not put that on film before. This is one of those, this is one more of those, uh, like secret weapon kind of, you know, unique defenses that to me, I'm surprised we used in this kind of game switching versus Utah 
we could have done that. That's not new. That's that's like one of the, like the five or six things you do against ball screens. I'm not as worried about letting Utah look what switching let Utah look at what switching looks like as much as I am letting Portland or other teams look at what whatever this was because we have not seen this before. So I thought that was neat. Um, a cool you know tool from the toolkit of Frank Vogel. He's been doing a really good job these past couple games coaching and from a, a approach standpoint, I really like what I've seen. This is funny. It's the the half court offense in this game was atrocious. Portland had 76.5 points per 100 possessions and the Lakers had 83.1 in the half court. Just atrocious, atrocious half court offense from both teams. But Lakers were a little bit better. They got out in transition more. And I, you know, it's funny, Tim, thinking back to the start of the season when people were questioning whether Dennis Schroeder should deserve to think he should start and say it. You know, he said he should start to some German uh, media or something. And uh, it got, you know, run over here. And a lot of people were like, well, maybe it's not up to him. But, you know, I can't imagine this guy not starting now with, you know, the intensity that he does put on Dame and he can fight over screens. He he's a valuable defender. And, and I'm not worried now in the in the postseason, the way maybe there are questions, you know, once we signed him, can he maintain that level of defense? We've already seen that stay. Um, so good, good on him. I love his response to after the game when he's like, you know, he still gave up 30. So the defense couldn't be that, you know, great. And Dame was 11 for 24 and five for 13 from three. But, you know, Dame, Dame was the only player that really killed him. Gary Trent Jr. had an okay game, eight for 20. But the Lakers played really good defense in this as well. And Portland's mm-hmm. just kind of struggling to find uh, like consistent half-court offense against any kind of defense. Yeah, when you are taking away the Dame pull-up three in ball screens and you're not playing drop coverage against him, that ruins a lot of what they want to do. And the Lakers were rotating really well. They they stymied a lot of those like offensive engine type actions we talked about in the playoffs when we were breaking down like how does this team work? Like there are guys who can score points in different ways, but where does it start? Where does that flow chart begin? And if you can just take your scissors and cut off the pipelines to good shots, you can take players who are normally getting higher quality looks and, and make them play lower quality basketball. And we saw more of that. I think that was Portland's offensive efficiency was a direct result of that. And you, I mean, Dame scored some points. A lot of where he did get hit those pull-up threes were when they were specifically scheming to make sure LA couldn't catch edge. And, you know, that was quite a battle. And that's why we saw the Lakers try out different coverages. But I thought we did a pretty good job. They tried what they could. And when it came down to it, the, the Laker defense was just too too good. And uh, we used other little tactics like sending those double teams against Melo that worked in the playoffs and worked again in this game. So um, funny. Just, He'll like, just never pass out of him. He refuses. It's, it's crazy. And like they'll even um, on one play, they, they did set a pin in flare screen. And the Laker defenders like backed out of the double team because of that. Um, and he still didn't like make the pass. The guy was wide open. He didn't make the pass. Uh, but so, yeah, I don't know. It, there was defensively. I liked what I saw offensively. You mentioned both offenses weren't, weren't all that good. We again saw the Lakers playing rock, paper, scissors, but yeah. trying to use the wrong thing. Like Dennis Schroeder 
Love him. He's going to get us some easy points every game, just like blowing by a guy at the point of attack. And I love the defense he provides and use him the right ways offensively. He can be a very good offensive player. I saw him run about a dozen ball screens in this game against them going under and dropping in a way that he was never going to get going. He was not going to get to the shot he wanted. And he just kept doing it over and over again. It wasn't generating a shot, any, anything at all. And it just kept happening. We kept trying the same play that wasn't working for a big stretch. And uh, it, it took until like late second quarter where I'm sorry. No, no. Late first quarter where the Lakers started building in some counters. We got him off of dribble handoffs instead that let him get downhill. We were scoring off of that. We got one of those Chicago actions where he runs off of a pin down from the corner into a dribble handoff. That was working well. Um, for whatever reason, late in the game, Dame Lillard just stopped playing the under coverage. He just kind of gave up on ball screens. And then Schroeder got going and the Lakers blew the game open. Um, but for most of that game, that specific screen coverage held him down. And the Lakers started using the right counters to it. And I was really impressed by that. I also liked um, how Markeith Morris looked. He was pretty mobile on D, bringing good spacing on offense. He was screening well. He was making good decisions. Once his threes start falling, and his threes in previous years had been falling. This year, 14th percentile three-point shot making. Last season, 87th percentile. So he's just – threes are not going in. His shot quality is about the same. It's just – hopefully this is just a really weird slump that has been elongated by like inconsistent playing time and injury and stuff like that. Um, or not injury, but just being out of the rotation. If he can get back to hitting shots, and we saw this in the next game – He's he looks like an awesome player and this team is a different team. So I was impressed by what he brought. I loved uh, the Lakers started using more quick pin downs for LeBron where just dribbling up the court. Yeah. Have somebody just set a little pin in pin down screen for for LeBron. And sometimes he takes those from like way too far out way too early in the possession. But when he you know walks into that and catches and shoots from like right at the three point line those are going in at, at a pretty good rate. So that was that was exciting. And then one other thing that stood out to me was the uh, inverted ball screens or ball screens with LeBron as a screener. Both of those were working and uh, Schroeder did a good job with them. Caruso needed to pressure the defense a little bit more. He was kind of running off the screen, just waiting to pass to LeBron, which isn't the right way to take advantage of LeBron's gravity. If if everybody's waiting for you to pass to LeBron, don't, you know, take advantage of that. Um, So. That was that was something that stood out. We did see some horn sets, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we saw a nice uh, LeBron, I think Gasol ball screen with them at the elbows. When you when you set a pick and roll that low, the defense can't really tag a roll man without giving up an open three. So I don't know. There were some good things, some bad things. I like the. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed the blob sets, the baseline out of bounds sets we've been running. I think that's been new. Pretty simple stuff. Like I mean, I, I saw Illinois run it. Uh, a couple days ago like these are college teams right but like it's simple but good effective somebody sets a uh, what is it I think KCP sets a a little screen for Gasol to cut to the rim and then KCP runs off of someone else's screen and something might be open it's a nice improvement it only happens a couple times a game like realistically you might get three shots a game off of it I was looking at years and years of data so it's I don't know. I, it's not where I would have focused my effort, but I, it's a nice little polish to do. Um, so I don't know. I'm happy with that. I'm rambling no, like, a bit. I just this no, is no. my stream of consciousness notes as I was walking. <laughs> as I was just watching the game. I listen. I I love a good baseline out of bounds. I just like you know so many like coaches like 
like Doc Rivers or Brad Stevens get so much credit for these incredible baseline out of bounds plays. And you realize that there's, you know, three available all game really. So yeah. just could put it in perspective. I appreciate <laughs> winning on the margins just as any much as anyone, Tim, but let's uh, call it what it is. So I've been tracking, trying to at least uh, call out how the Lakers have been shooting lately, Tim. And I called it in that last game against Utah, 21%, 25.9%. Uh, in this one against Portland, not good. This has been a series of weeks now. This is mm-hmm. a, like less reverting back to the mean and more maybe the original success is the outlier. So uh, and we'll get to the Golden State game. Obviously, they they blew out that game early in the first quarter because they fucking made threes. Holy shit. Maybe we combine this conversation into it now with the Golden State. But they finally made some threes against this Golden State team. And yeah, their defense was good still too. They they turned Golden State over and uh, were able to like kind of use just their size, right, and really punish them like guys like Pascal and Looney. But shot making at what at what point do we get concerned with the lack of it um, and and how we we put our lineups together to maximize that? It's a real concern, and I think you're right to say that. The true three-point shot making of this team is it's not this bad, but it's closer to like okay than it was to what we started off the year with, which was just excellent. And I'll have to go through the data and look at like, all right, based off of the last season or two, what should we expect this team shot making to be or what should we expect it to look like? But it went from like fourth to like 20th to 25th, like really, really quickly. Um, So, yeah, it's been bad. It changes the way that defenses can play you. I think, thankfully, we haven't seen that materialize too much. Like, defenses still respect KCP. KCP. They're respecting LeBron, sort of. Um, When he's off ball, they respect him. When he's on ball on those ball screens, they'll go under those, and that hurts. Uh, THT being left alone hurts. Caruso being left alone a bit hurts. Uh, Gasol having his guy sag off of him hurts. So they're... Keith, Keith had been I, I bad, real bad. Keith lately. had been real bad. I didn't notice on film his guy sagging off of him. I think he has a good yeah. enough rep, and he just hasn't played all that much. So, but like, he in won't the shoot report, when he like, ha- needs to sometimes because he's ugh. like not making it. I feel like so yeah. many. We'll get to that. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just also Keith. No, yeah, but but it's a good question that you ask, and especially at a time where we just saw in this Golden State game the Lakers kind of switch up their offensive approach a bit and run some new sets. It was good. Fight through. I mean, like everybody's like, oh, they're too tired. There's not enough practice time. How can you run it? Like, like we're trying to teach them, I don't know, Jedi math or something. It's like, you know, run an an AI cut. Run from wing to wing, Dennis Schroeder. You're going to get an open, you know, turn the corner, attack downhill. And if it's not there, you're going to have the pop open. And we did have the pop open. And like you said, Keith turned down an open three. But I don't know. The, The team made some changes. And I was really happy with them. We've been talking on this pod about like some wishlist items, and they hit uh, just a lot. <laughs> I was really happy. I was I was I was really pumped for this game. Yeah, lots of movement through Mark. I noticed multiple sets yep. uh, with him, you know, hitting KCP in the back cut and just getting fouled, or you know, finding guys a lot more similar to what we saw in the preseason and a little bit in the early season, but. There's other stuff too, like the Schroeder Marcusol two man game. I think just generally on offense, you're starting to see more of the ancillary 
chemistry like pieces that could be good together now get a little bit more run too so I, I don't know and I've liked what I've seen from Marc Gasol not just with him you know finally scoring like hitting three threes in a quarter or something uh, but that looked good you know he actually scored for the first time I can remember as the role man in a pick and roll you know he just yeah. so much pops there or or you know like it kicks out to the skip pass in the four on three he just never attacks and he actually like got that he and dribbled. one he yeah. dribbled too he dribbled attack was- to close out yeah, I think it they're was, watching the film and noticing that when he does that, all he's looking to do most of the time is handoff, right? Mm, when he does yep. get that or skit. And it's like they watch the film and like, you're too predictable. You got to at least put it on the ground once. To, and then they're like, oh, shit. And then they can make a mistake. Yeah. But they weren't creating any space on those plays, right? Yeah, they, they, they weren't. And I'm glad that we made the change. I saw a lot more. So like we've we've used five out alignments, but this was the first game where I was like, man, like this is a five out offense at times where players were in the right positions. There was cutting, there was screening, there were like give and goes. We leveraged Gasol's playmaking from the perimeter and then also from the high post and then also from like the middle of the free throw line. It almost looked like a, a John B line two guard front offense that used to run at Michigan where you have two players at the wings, two players at the slots, like the top of the key, but at the sides and a big man in the middle where you have nobody anywhere in like the bottom third close to the basket of the court in a way that you get flare screens open towards the corners and you can drive really well off the wings and you can cut really well. And using that big man as a passer or as a screener for cutters gets a lot of good looks at the rim. So the Lakers did a good job of turning their offense north south towards the rim and getting guys to cut or like there was one time where like we saw that there was a mismatch for Keith on a defender so LeBron cut he cleared the corner out Keith stepped in from the wing to the elbow posted up there Gasol was at the high post that defender tried to like three-quarter high where you try to put a hand in the front and then Keith just spun off of it Gasol was perfect, perfect timing through that nice lob pass in and easy bucket. So like just little things like that where you have built in like, oh, we have a mismatch. Here's exactly how we attack it in a way that's not give somebody the ball and have them go one V one. Like, no, just use the spacing available to you to get cuts and get screening actions and get slips to the rim. Um, So I I was I was really happy with that. Uh, We ran like a play where LeBron set a pin in flare screen for Gasol in the first quarter to get him an open three pointer. Um, and he drilled that one. If he misses that, we probably don't talk about it. He drilled it though. <laughs> it was a nice play. I liked it. It was like a very, very wide open shot. Um, so I don't know. There, there were a lot of things I really enjoyed and I thought the Lakers did a better job this game playing that rock, paper, scissors battle battle and pulling out the right item for what the defense was showing them. So that I think that was a, a good step forward. We'll have to see if it's sustained. You know, sometimes things just fall into your hands. And Golden State wasn't going under, I guess, ball screens. They uh, weren't sending extra help on post-ups. And those are two things that when teams, you know, don't do what we're bad at attacking, we're going to look better. They weren't running drop coverage. Like, they were giving the Lakers the exact screen coverages that the Lakers do well against. So... I don't know if you want to extrapolate the success of this game to like, oh, man, we've turned a corner, but installing some good plays, clearly being able to execute them 
and attacking in smart ways is all you can really ask for this game. So I was I was really, really happy with that. So next show we're going to do uh, next week, we're going to do like a like a had midseason review, you know, all star break review. But uh, something I want to dive into more is Caruso and finishing at the rim. Um, man, he had a possession in that game where he used a pick and roll, you know, snakes around it, cuts across the defender's body and gets like a reverse layup. And that's yeah. just not the kind of play that Alex Caruso made last year. You know, even in the bubble, it's a credit to him. And I, I see a lot of Phil Handy's work with that. If ball and body control in crossing, you know, left to right. And and I always wonder, too, like, yo, do you pick like THT's brain? Like, do you make fun of him for only shooting with his right hand? Do you have a THT drill where THT leads you all in only shooting from with your right hand? <laughs> On the, on the left side of the basket because it's like he's so good at it and it's so mm-hmm. strange. I don't know exactly maybe why it works so well. He's got big hands, long arms, helps him just kind of scoop turn, you know, like flick it up with that English. But that's yeah. that's what that play reminded me of was like a THT, you know, right handed reverse layup. Yeah. And that was one of those plays where LeBron was the screener for him. AC goes off the screen and the guy who is on him is just kind of like waiting for him to recover. And the whole defense was just not, it didn't seem like they were fully, like they didn't believe that, they didn't believe him. They didn't respect it. They didn't think he was actually going to drive. So when he did drive, everybody was a step slow. And we saw that several times in this game. I saw a big difference in Caruso's approach from the Portland game to the Golden State game in terms of when LeBron is your screener, attack. Don't just dribble off of it and wait for somebody to be open. Make somebody open by penetrating and either scoring yourself or if they stop you, somebody should be open if you've got two guys on LeBron. So I I was really pleased with that step forward. Kuzma. Kuzma had a really nice play in this game defensively that I was thrilled about I want to talk about. He had one where uh, the the Warriors, and credit to them, their roster is not very good right now. I think they've got some some good pieces. They figured out a little bit more who should be playing. I really like their coaching staff, and I think I see them get a bunch of crap. And coming off of titles after titles, like you, the patience wears thin. But they're running high caliber offense. The, the talent just isn't quite there. But one of the things they did was they ran a ball screen at the elbow, and the Lakers catch hedged, so they slipped against it. The slip would have been open. But the ball handler's man, Kuz, recognized that and he backpedaled and he picked off the uh, slip pass. He wasn't the guy that should have. He wasn't even guarding that player. He just noticed what was happening, peeled off and got the right positioning. Strong hands jumped up, high pointed the ball, brought it down like a a tight end on a deep shot down the middle and uh, started a fast break the other way. So that just something like that is just an IQ play that Kuzma a year ago or two years ago was never making. And little things like that can really go unnoticed. But that was a play where it's like the offense knows what should be open, but you also know what should be open and you, you know, take it upon yourself to go take that away from them. Yeah, I no longer have to look at Kyle Kuzma's shot field goal makes and field goal attempts to have an idea of whether or not he has a bad game, because that is no longer indicative of that to me. He is gotten to that point where I, you know, when he makes a, 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 a poor player, he you know, doesn't know how to step without traveling still. 
somehow. <laughs> I don't get mad. Yeah. Like I don't. I just. I just make now. I just make jokes about it. I'm just like, yeah. oh, that's just kind of funny. You just never learned it, but it's okay, dude. You're doing great out there. He is doing fantastic. Um, but something else you mentioned, Tim, uh, to lead us into our next segment is I want all the LeBron screens. Give me like all I want. A, I want an entire game like, you know, Kobe got like six. What is it like 16, 17 rebounds in that finals game? You just like mm-hmm. do whatever you need. I want like Utah Jazz Lakers, you know, Western Conference finals, like game seven where LeBron sets like 97 screens <laughs> and, and he gets 52 screen assists. And, you know, he's he's five for 10 from three popping off of those like he's just so deadly in so many all yep. the ways you want him to be if he wants to you know use that freight train in, in another way absolutely yeah i want to see more of that i like it better when he's the screener than when he's receiving the screen from caruso or Schroeder or somebody because i'd rather have lebron in the short role i don't want like all of those other plays either result in one of our players who are, they're not really movement shooters sprinting off, trying to turn their body, catch and shoot that ghost screen three, which we have not been hitting, or getting a short roll. Those are like the two outcomes. Just flip it. <laughs> Let LeBron do that. Let LeBron attack 4v3. Why? Why It doesn't need to be complicated. Basketball is a simple numbers game uh, on the court. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a simple spreadsheet game. It's a, It can be a simple numbers game. If they're going to bring two guys at the ball and give LeBron freaking James a four on three to attack, that's going to be money. So finding more ways to attack that I think would be really smart. Um, we saw split cuts, Tom. Did you see? We I saw know. We, we did. I, we saw split cuts. Yeah. This is my split cut music, Tom. It's time to have a dance party. <laughs> we saw two split cuts to start the second half. Marcus Saul, high posts, get on the ball. Dennis Schroeder, go set, go set a great screen for LeBron. And we flipped it. LeBron back cut they switched it so you know action's over but it's not because the lakers read that shit and dennis schroeder knew that because he was setting the screen and his new man was between or he was between his new man in the basket he then cut to the rim after he set the screen for lebron to cut through he cut because he had the inside position got a bucket and lebron wasn't lazy lebron didn't you know jog through and like oh, i didn't get the ball i'm gonna stand around he cleared out so that was actually a bucket um, next play, same sort of thing, but LeBron got the ball off of a handoff, got another good shot. I'm just, I'm just really excited. I didn't think this could happen. I want to thank Frank Vogel. I want to v- thank LeBron James. I want to thank Phil Handy. Uh, I want to thank Jason Kidd. I, I, I didn't think we can get here, Tom, but we got here. But then we didn't run anymore, so I'm going to turn the music off. But I would love to see more of that, and I thought that was a good step forward. Listen, progress is progress. Uh, it it's uh, genuinely funny to see how excited that makes you. Um, you know, but it should work so well. Th- that's we saw why. one four high sets, Tom. We saw horn sets. We saw we split cuts. We saw that. I was talking. I don't think I talked about it on the pod, but I was tweeting about it. How every KCP pin down, he never fades off of it. Like never. Like going back like three years, I think he said like a one. So you can always just go under that and meet him on the other side. So the Lakers called a set play where he runs off of a pin down and then the screener flips it and they run a, a flare screen instead. And we ran that in this game. It got a wide open bucket for him there too. So it just, it was like the team finally finished like self-scouting and identifying the, the specific different areas that they could just make little tweaks, like same ideas, same alignment, same actions for a lot of this, just run the right plays given the defense you're facing and you're going to score much more effectively. 
so I was I was really happy with what we saw. And oh, the the step up ball screens that I've been complaining about, where we set like a screen for our point guard with our shooting guard, which does nothing at all. We started doing that with big men and getting matchups and getting drives at the rim. So there were just a number of things. If if I were to make a list of you know grudges Tim has against the Lakers offense, we just you know checked off eighty percent of them. So I was I was really happy with that. All right, man. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break here. I will come back and talk a little bit about more stuff we want to see from the Lakers and uh, maybe talk a little bit of Damian Jones here on the other side. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast, and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. All right, so we actually fortunate enough to get Garbaggio time enough so that we got to see the Lakers' new 10-day contract edition in Damian Jones. I mean, unfortunately, he came out of it with an injury. I'm not sure yet exactly how serious it is, but he, Tim, we saw that, you know, for the first time since Anthony Davis got out, a, a lob over the top, verticality in the pick and roll with him and Dennis Schroeder. Um it was, you know, different to see some athleticism from that setter. And I'm no shots to Trez. He's got, you know, some physicality, some moves, but he's not bouncy the way that, that Damian Jones is. And there were a couple plays I noticed where he's maybe maybe overhelping, you know, on the drive and left uh, his guy for the dump off to get an easy bucket. And that's something that, you know, that you every good defensive player you know you you find those ways of like oh how far do i follow him is this is he really gonna shoot or do i just if i step hard at him is he gonna try and fake it and then dump off and then i'll you know all these things you know getting good at that he's not quite there as far as positioning on the court defensively but he's big and he blocked a shot you know got his arm over the rim i don't know i'm intrigued it's it's still early in small sample size and Golden State's very small team, too, but I don't know. What did you think about Damian Jones? He's very intriguing to me. He is a seven-foot roll-and-cut big on offense that's a mobile big on defense that in the past he's been used in drop coverage. He's been used in switching. He's been used blitzing. He's been used catch hedging. He's done all of that, and that a guy that can defend the rim – Catch and finish lobs, be an excellent finisher on dump offs, has had a good defensive impact in the past that can run a bunch of different ball screen coverages is like exactly what we were looking for in a biopic. So if he's healthy, 
there are still things he can improve upon. Like he was available for a reason, but he is someone who's been good on defense in the past and we can optimize this offense much better. I think he's a perfect fit to fill the void that the team has. And for a team that in the playoffs will be playing a bunch of different screen coverages, most likely having someone who's big, but also mobile enough that they can execute a good number of those is a huge luxury to have as just a deep bench guy that, you know, can also block some shots. Uh, I think he is going to be, I don't know, I I saw a boost to the offense all of a sudden on plays where like last year I was like, oh man, there was a lob there. We threw the lob. Great. This year, I'm never looking for lobs when I'm watching the film because we just don't have the guys for that unless it's like a designed set where like we give, we give Trez a runway or something. We are not getting those standstill lobs that we got last year with Dwight or with, with JaVale. Damian Jones can, can do those. And we saw, I think, one already, maybe two already. There were other times he was open but didn't get the ball. I think Schroeder is someone who is going to benefit a bunch from having him because Schroeder's a guy that he's less likely to make the skip pass and ball screen reads. He is less, he, he's not making the pop read as well, but he's really good at that lob read. And we saw last season, Nerlens Noel and him were one of the most frequent pick and roll duos, and they were very prolific because he made that shoot or lob read very, very well, and the defense had to respect that lob. So they were giving him those more open mid range jumpers. Um, he's gonna be. This is gonna be a really good pairing with him. His uh, we ran our playmaking data, B ball index, and we look at like volume and, and versatility and quality and all the different things. His passing creation quality. So the quality of the shots he's creating for his teammates was in the 90th percentile or above each of the past three seasons. This is Dennis Schroeder. This season, it's plummeted all the way to, all the way to the 45th percentile. And I think a big piece of that is because he's no longer just spoon feeding lobs to a, a lob threat. And we've seen Nerlens Noel, if we look at his impact data last year versus this year, he's plummeted in offensive impact because he doesn't have a guy spoon feeding him lobs. So this is the type of dude that you pair with Schroeder that in ball screens, he has that one skill set that the rest of the roster just doesn't have. So I think that'll help Schroeder's pick and roll scoring. I think it's going to help his pick and roll passing quite a bit. And when you have a true lob threat, those help defenders need to rotate over an extra step to get in position because you can't just like put a hand up and stop a lob. You have to, with your body, get in position and and have to defend a lob, you know, to its fullest extent. And that is something that's going to open up higher quality threes when we do make those kick out passes. So I, he's, I see a lot of upside with how he can fit into the team in general. And then specifically with Schroeder, who's someone I would love to get going a little bit more than we've seen. And we've already seen him just be such a boost to this team. Yeah, no, I I think that's all spot on. It's to me, it's not the issue about getting quality three point looks. I think this Lakers team can get quality three point looks in a lot of different ways. It's you almost you need decent to good shooting around that to help that, you know, work as well. Mm-hmm. And and. You know, if it's Schroeder and if THT is standing in the corner off ball, it's not going to get you as far. So, yes, Jones in is going to provide that. And I really think that's a a wise, you know, read of not just making Schroeder better in in, you know, passing and getting easy buckets, but opening up that mid range to attack himself for himself as well. But, yeah, you have to have the right pieces around. And if Caruso is not shooting the ball well and teams are really, you know, sagging off of him, you just may need to make sure that the right guys are are 
able to execute those shots because yeah. like i said three shot quality for the lakers for threes isn't the issue right in their shot making profile well it helped it, it's it's not like we're not really poor with it but you can always be a little bit better like we're good we're not elite with the three-point shot quality at this point in the season we were a little bit better earlier mm. on and even if you're even if we continue to underperform the more high quality looks we get, even if we're, you know, a little bit below what we should be, it's still going to be a better, better shot than underperforming I mean, yeah, on an a, okay shot. A, a high shot quality team with a low uh, percentage performance is not exactly encouraging. Right. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. And a lot of times we do see, you know, the better shooting teams are going to get harder threes and, and the because they're willing to take those harder threes and the worst shooting teams are only going to take making them. Yeah, 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 for sure. All things equal, though, I'd rather have more. <laughs> like that's just one byproduct of this. We might get sure. maybe someone gets an extra half second to get a three off the normal. And if we think about how we can be pairing dudes, if Jones is is healthy first, and then can fit into these rotations and lineups, him and Akif four or five pairing. That I mean, that's going to give you some spacing for for your lob threat. Does him being able to play give us a chance to finally see? Trez and Gasol paired up together, which I don't know if like I'm not saying this is going to work, but it can work and I'd be okay to seeing it tried. I think Trez as a four man defensively, and we've talked about this since preseason when we were talking about like, hey, how have the Clippers not used him the way they should be? And that was one of the things we talked about. If he can play power forward a bit and be more a help big, help perimeter big than somebody involved a lot at the point of attack in screening actions or needing to defend the rim as a shot blocker, he's going to be more within his his own skill set. So I don't think him and Jones fit together because you don't have the shooting, but uh, Harrell with Gasol maybe makes some sense. And then you put Jones with AD. I don't know. I, I just I like the potential possibilities it opens up and we have a whole – 30 or something games to to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And maybe a week and a half from now, this guy's not on the team anymore. But it, I, I think if you're to look, you know, take the name away and just look at the skill set that you're looking for, he checks all, all of the realistic boxes you can expect for a buyout guy. Block shots, finish lobs, play different screen coverages. That's, that's pretty good. I think, yeah, that – Considering they knew exactly how to deploy a player like that all of last season and multiple players mm-hmm. like that in different lineups, I'm confident that, yeah, they know how to use him offensively and defensively to mitigate his weaknesses and maximize his strengths. But I have a couple of questions to hit you read Damian Jones. Okay. He's a 10-day contract, right? So he's a quick look. Is he the best player that fits that skill profile? And is he an impact player when AD returns and into the postseason? Is he or is he just a a yoke, you know, break in in case of Jokic matchup kind of guy that would be worth a a roster spot just for that reason? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just weighing what he's worth to the team. Right. He did have a gold post move lockdown badge at people index last year. So he is a good post defender. Um I see him at, I think it's once we get to the playoffs, here's how I'm looking at it. Assuming AD's healthy, everybody's healthy. Adding Jones gives us the big man versatility to pick which combos of guy, not just which players, but which combos of players we want to be playing on the court given who who the opponent is. 
having him as someone who can defend the rim and drop coverage, but also be a good shot blocker while playing catch hedging, well, while catch hedging or, or, or be blitzing or whatever it happens to be, that is something that we don't quite have with like, like Trez isn't the same shot blocker this guy is. Um, Gasol is not the same, cal- same caliber shot blocker this guy is. So having that, adding that lob threat, because we don't have that in the other guys, is a good thing to have. So it's it's a tool that'll be in the toolkit. I don't anticipate he's going to get really high-level minutes in the playoffs, but given the right opportunity, it seems like a really easy fit to a, a need. If we run into the right thing and we, I don't know, we only have a bunch of screws and we need a nail, he can be a nail. Um, when we talk about whether he's the best guy at, at this, like like he's not the best player at this just in general, but given the names I see thrown around about you know other buyout guys, I would certainly put him up against any of those older washed big guys when it comes to shot blocking, um, finishing at the rim. Like, I, I don't know, like, who would you be looking for? Like a white side? I think he is not the same caliber shot blocker, but he's a good shot blocker and he's around the same finishing as a white side, but a little bit more mobile in ball screens. Um, so I, I think realistically, like it's never, maybe some perfect player becomes open and I don't know if LA has the space to grab somebody. We have two open, we have two roster spots, right? So we'd be able to, we do. I don't know how to find Okay. So if someone else becomes available and you need to get rid of them, get rid of them. But right now I wouldn't let him go due to hoping someone becomes available unless we know that by keeping him around, we for sure can't go get one of those guys. And I know that we can sign him to a couple 10 days before actually right. signing him on to the rest of the season. So it can be an right. extended trial if if need be. But realistically, looking at the options, I think he's on the high higher end of outcomes. And he's 25. So like if it does work out, Maybe somebody you keep around and and you can have on the roster for cheap for a team that maybe going into next season is really crunched for trying to keep dudes around and might need to to add another player to the mix. I think that's a dynamic. By the way, we're talking way more about Damian Jones than I ever imagined, too, <laughs> because I think he was genuinely interesting in ways that I didn't expect. So and, and you know, you make all great points there, but. I also think the kind of player you just said it there at the end, the kind of player that he is, is more likely and conducive to entering a role where, hey, man, like when we need you, like be ready. But, you know, don't be offended. Like, dude just got cut from a not great team, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, so it's. You know, he's going from that to being a like, we know what we want to use you as guy. This is your path forward in this league. Let us help you establish your your role and your identity and being a star in your role. Every time we play, you know, Utah, Denver, Philadelphia, and and you're that guy for us the way, you know, JaVale and Dwight left us. Yeah, he's not some falling star that is falling to the Lakers after having a long successful career of making a lot of money or having the ball in his hands a bunch. This is someone that I would anticipate is really excited about this opportunity, willing to do what he needs to do to stay around on this team and would be happy to buy into what we need. And thankfully his skill set matches a lot of that. So, I mean, I can see scenarios where we get to the playoffs and maybe we don't play a Trez, but this guy might be able to stay on the court or we don't play a Gasol and this guy can stay on the court. Probably not, but it, just his mobility, and I want to look at more film on that, but uh, in theory, his mobility is something that I think is really exciting as well because that is the big piece that 
you know, we, we can't bring JaVale back, but if we could bring JaVale back and when you get to the playoffs, it's like, all right, well, you can't play him in certain situations. Is Jones someone that you can play in those certain situations? Is he someone that is better than he should be on a buyout market just because Phoenix said, hey, you know, we're rolling with Aiden. Like, we've got our guy and the opportunity just isn't here for you. And they've, they're paying other players. Like, they need those guys they're paying to be who they need them to be. And he just got squeezed. But in reality, is is a decently talented player. So that's that's how I'm right now looking at the situation and as we see more film on him because i haven't seen a lot of film on him we haven't seen him play much as we learn more we'll adjust that need as as needed but he has at least a good bit of history as a shot blocker a lob finisher a very good roll and slip guy he's got good hands he like snatched a ball out of somebody's hands on a bad lob uh a game ago so he's i don't know i'm excited we'll see what happens but I think the Lakers did a really, really good job with this. Credit to their their scouting and the front office for jumping on this opportunity. Yeah, and I, I just fully expect what will happen is he'll probably sign a second 10-day. And then if I understand correctly, um, after you know March, I think it's 23rd or 24th, something like that, they can – they prorated the rest of the you know minimum salary will be enough to fall under the hard cap for two spots – if I understand it correctly. So there's a gap there maybe where they'll probably sign him to a second 10 day, you know, maybe it's three, four, five, six days, and then they can legally sign him under the hard cap along another roster spot. So it, it might, you know, be a slow move and hopefully he can recover from this little injury to keep playing in the next couple games. But I'm, I'm definitely excited to keep watching him and, you know, just to have him be that specialty tool in that toolbox, like you mentioned. But uh, uh, another thing you mentioned earlier is, is just how we're running some other s- small plays, small actions that are repeatable things. They're not based on a big, you know, schematic uh, event the way that sometimes you like, you wish that the Lakers offense ran, but I mean, just a simple Schroeder Allen Iverson cut like that. Like you brought that up and that really stood out. That is such a great play for him and stuff we've talked about that we haven't seen utilized in the offense. But is there anything else you haven't mentioned or you also want to point out? Like what what are you looking forward to in the second half of this uh, Lakers? There season? were three things that I over this past week and we haven't potted in like a week, but over this past week I watched a bunch of film and I was really trying to boil down the Lakers offensive struggles to just a couple areas. And the answer isn't install 50 new plays. If, if we could have, like if there was another break in, in games for three months and the team could practice. Yeah. I'd have different suggestions right now, given everything that's happening realistically, I'm, I'm trying to work through the situation say, all right, well, like what would I hope that they do given the constraints and, the first thing is beating that post help that we talked about. We won't dig into it, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to that podcast, listen to our last pod. This is something that's happening a lot. It's really challenging for the Lakers. Thankfully, I don't know why, but Golden State and Portland didn't bother to read the scouting report or do those things that were giving the Lakers issues in previous games. But it's a big piece of their offense now and when AD gets back that you want to be able to go to with confidence and not see the same types of grinding it out offense at times that we saw during last playoffs and during during this year. So that's one piece of it. Winning the rock, paper, scissors game is another piece. We have plays that we run. I, I mean, we, I joked around like, oh, we run three plays, we run four plays. The Lakers have a real playbook. 
And watching through the film on that, you can see that's the case. There are just way too many actions that we run that don't generate an advantage, not because just they don't work or they don't make sense or the guys aren't good or they don't execute. It's we're running a play to beat drop coverage when the team isn't playing drop coverage that we're playing. Or we're running a play that beats a team switching pin downs, but the team isn't switching pin downs. So it's, I I think, getting better at seeing what they're doing and saying, oh, okay, I need to flip to page three in my playbook and run these plays instead of those plays. That, you know, same stuff. We know them already. I'm not proposing installing new things. You know, I'd still love to install some new things, but even with your existing playbook, just optimizing it better and using it at the right times should yield better results. And we've seen it yield better results. The Lakers run the same plays. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. It's about when they're running them and how they're running them against an opponent that dictates if it ends up with a good shot or like not a good shot at all. So that's the second thing. And then the third one is, is an area that I would like to see some growth schematically. And that's scheming in ways to beat switching defenses. We went in, what, two weeks ago, said, uh, who are we playing? We were playing two teams that switch a bunch, Brooklyn and Miami. And we said, this is a great chance to establish Gasol playmaking and find ways to beat switching without just like isolating. And the Lakers didn't really jump on that. So that's still something that I would love to see the team work on because once we get to the playoffs, especially if we're still struggling with the post-offense stuff, teams are going to start switching against us. And if we turn every switch into an ISO and they're loading up against our ISOs, that's an uphill battle. So if they're switching off screen stuff, you know, find ways to slip those screeners with the right spacing and player alignments that that's an open open shot. Or if they're switching on ball actions, find the right ways to, to seal players off and, and get good shots. So that's the third thing uh, that I'm looking for over these next couple games. So Phoenix and, and Sacramento, but then leaving that all star break, hopefully getting a couple practices on under our belt by the time we get back to games. I want to see growth in some of those areas. I love it. Yeah, I, I mentioned LeBron screens, right? All the different plays and like like you said, like putting him in that position to to be four on threes and have that advantage instead of, you know, a lesser player or something that's just not able to be created if it's not LeBron. Um, I, I would love to see more KCP minutes. I think there's going to be a coming time soon. And I'm not saying next week or anything, but in a month or two where playing THT isn't going to teach you anything that you don't know anymore because we're starting to get to enough sample where just like Damian Jones, THT will be a tool in the toolbox, uh, fully capable and ready to beat a specific task. But he's not a, we must play this guy, you know, 18 minutes a game, no matter what guy yet. He's just not. And I'm glad he's getting experience. But when KCP can provide that spacing a little bit better around other guys, it to me makes them more, you know, maybe it's too a little bit less Wes, if that's the case, you know, put KCP in a little bit more of those minutes, finding more KCP time because I think he will play a lot more come mm-hmm. playoff time. And uh, I want yeah, him to be ready I can for get that. Behind that. But and so THT is like one of the many pampered chef items I have in my kitchen where they're very they're incredibly specific. They can do <laughs> they they're really good at what they do, but I don't I only really yes. need to use it like once a, a month or two. And like I, I I'm not saying 
THT is not useful for most of a month, but he's good at what he's good against. It's just not what we're going to need on a day in and day out basis. Whereas like KCP providing what he provides, given the team, how it's built, how it's run, that is going to be big picture what matters more. So you want to make sure you get those minutes in there and get him performing. Now, if you're playing a team that's going to be playing defensively in ways that play into THT's hands, yeah, get him out there. But you can... Like last year, like 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 against yep. Houston, right? Like I am fully like he could do that against a team sure. in the Western yeah. Conference. Yeah, I'm not saying like bench him all together. Pick his spots, find spots Definitely. where he can succeed. Yes, you're. I, I still have a little bit of. I'm, I'm okay with it for a little bit longer, but we're going to get to a stretch in the season where it's time to flip yeah. the switch and say, all right, like what is our playoff rotation going to look like? And we're going to get guys playing in the right positions to succeed for them. And if that means less THT time, it's going to mean less THT time. And I think it might, given how he's played defensively and how Frank Vogel is so focused on defense. So I think that's a good call out by you. We probably will see that shift at some point. Um, I think AD being out, Schroeder being out has elongated how long THT is able to struggle with some areas that we know Vogel doesn't like. Um, he continues to flash that finishing ability and he's getting better in, in a couple areas, but it's, it's not quite the right time, the right roster, the right situation for THT this year and credit to him for growing and fighting and, and, and playing as well as he can. But LA might need to, to flip that switch at some point and then start picking his spots. Absolutely. I mean, like all kinds of stuff we'd like to see more of too. Marcus Ald and like you mentioned, like some horn sets with LeBron and and more uh, you know elbow actions where there's multiple actions he can read, mm-hmm. not just one, and then hand off and then be done with it. But um, you know the Truder Trez pick and roll. You know I'd love to see that kind of manifest because they don't really have like. I don't know. In my mind, there would be like a Schroeder Trez lineup that would be that would go on without without LeBron. And, you know, A.D. and and Trez haven't exactly been a great pairing so far. And I don't know. I just like to see that, you know, more A.D. threes when he comes back. That would be great. We haven't talked a lot about him and just, you know, honestly looking forward to getting him back into the lineup, playing a reasonable amount of minutes getting his intensity up uh, because it's it's been there here and there, but keeping it consistent for a long time. Other things I'm definitely looking up forward to, but we'll get a lot more specific in the state of the Lakers where they are right now in our next episode. But uh, is there anything else, Tim, that you want to kind of look forward to uh, maybe what might change from here on out in the season? I think I'll save some of those thoughts for, for that next pod. I, I think, thinking shorter term for these next two games. And by the time you listen to this, the Phoenix game may have happened already. So I'll think Sacramento's second game of a back-to-back. I don't know if we're going to be resting guys or if it's, you know, last game until the break, we're going to, we don't care. Um, I want to see go out the team go out there and kick some butt and maybe we see Luke Walton, uh, you know, frowning. Don't I'll say, say not having a good time. Oh. You knew what I was going to, th- going to say, I was thinking about it. Um, we've seen some, I don't know. We've seen some coach movement over the past couple of weeks and in a couple of situations that like had people scratching their heads, especially from a race standpoint. 
And I know, I know that Luke is somebody that a, a lot of folks like to point to and say like, hey, like if this guy's getting these chances, like why can't other folks? And a lot of it from like a systematic standpoint is, is very justified. Um, Luke might be on the hot seat. He, the, his team, they've got some talent over there and uh, they need to, to start kicking it into gear. So we'll, we'll see if this can be a, a springing off point for them. Um, and I like several of the players they have. I remember like back in the day, I was like, ah, I don't like De'Aaron Fox. I like De'Aaron Fox now. He's, he's an exciting guy. Um, but we'll, let's see if this team can uh, kick, kick Luke in the butt on the way into the break and, uh, you know, finish, finish this push with a couple more wins. If you can leave this with a four-game win streak instead of losing, I don't know, what would it be, like six of the eight games to end the break or something like that, I think that changes the way you think about things, even though these games individually really don't matter. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, re Luke Walton, you can have uh, a really poor situation where you're set up to fail and also be bad at your job. They're not mutually exclusive in complete totality because, yes, does that limit the way you can change and, and, and alter the trajectory of the team? However... I've watched King. We just did the Kings episode with Nick Jaley. Man, they have major issues. And I remember after that, we beat Minnesota before uh, Ryan Saunders was fired. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember tweeting like, man, like Saunders has got to figure some shit out. Like Anthony Edwards is out here taking eight straight shot. Cat doesn't have a field goal attempt in the final, like eight yep. minutes of a close game. Lakers are playing terrible. Had like, you know, lost five of six in the, in the time. That was mm -hmm. their one win and fully easily beatable. And they just couldn't figure out what's going on. And I don't think coaching is easy. I think all these guys have more experience than me, but, um, you know, it's it's a question we need to ask ourselves when uh, when when there are a lot of great coaches and great players, with a lot of experience, not getting opportunities. And uh, I don't know, you know, credit to those guys. I'm sure they'll land jobs at NBA TV and we can <laughs> keep learning from them. Uh, uh, yeah, that is the, the, the selfish me thinking that, you know, I, if a team won't hire you, like I, I want to get as much knowledge from you as I can and really smart people in a lot of these positions and like none of these jobs are easy it's the x's and o's which we talk a lot about that is one piece of so much that needs to happen you need to exactly. be a, a leader of men you need to be able to inspire yes. a locker room get them to all point their their effort in the same direction and be fighting towards the same goals and keep that buy-in through thick and thin and, and like there's so much involved in leadership just in general and then in basketball leadership where it's on a public stage and it's all of these crazy circumstances um you gotta oh talk to the media yeah, every night you know what i mean they're asking you questions about some tweets from some <laughs> douchebag yeah there's so I'm not right, saying anyone right, in right. particular. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> there, there are yeah. so many opportunities for little slip-ups to be magnified. Um, and, and, you know, injuries happen and maybe a roster construction isn't ideal. And, like, there are so many things that can be excuses. You know, we were tired or this is a COVID year. It doesn't matter. You should be able to, like, consider all the variables, create your baseline for, like, this is what we expect. And I'm sure they've done that. I'm sure all the teams said, like, this is our goal for the year. Do we agree this is a fair goal given everything that's happening? And then if injuries happen, you adjust it. But if you're underperforming consistently, 
And from a process standpoint, it's just, it's not coming together. It's not like we're running good stuff. The talent isn't there, which is where Golden State is this year. If it's just like, like when we played Minnesota twice, those two game plans were the two worst defensive game plans we faced. And they weren't like, it, it just wasn't the, at the same caliber of some of the other teams we were playing. And it stood out um, offensively similar ways where it was just like, man, like I was expecting more. Um, we'll see what Sacramento looks like. I'm hoping for some go- growth. I haven't watched a start to finish Kings game live this year. I've watched bits and pieces. I've seen plenty of synergy clips. I've not watched the game start to finish. So we'll see if there's some growth or it's same old, same old. And if so, he's, you know, might be on the hot seat for the second half of this season. Yeah. There's an expression. This reminds me of an expression in filmmaking um, that it's so hard to make. There's so many ways a film can go wrong that it's a miracle that we make any good films at all. And, and I having made one, it is, it's incredibly difficult and it's a truly achievement. Anytime someone makes a good movie or coaches a good basketball team that plays within itself with all guys trying to maximize each other and themselves within a unified vision. And, you know, like we talked about Golden State not having a great team. They're still like number one in the league in assists and they still play mm-hmm. the Golden State way. They yep. move that ball and it's beautiful sometimes, yep. but it can only take you so far. And they would be significantly worse if they didn't have that. So every time you think about Kerr and that, oh, my God, what are they doing? All these things. Consider, if you can, just on a human level, the context. And, man, that's there's a lot of pressure in this multi-billion yeah, dollar For industry. sure. And, like, credit to Walt. Like, he gets his guys playing hard. And they, are, like, that is a big piece of it. Like, they'll, they're going to go out there. They're going to battle. And you see how distraught they are when they like blew a lead the other day. They're like up eight with a minute left or something like that. Like these guys are fighting hard. They're going to give us a fight. I'm sure for their coach, knowing it's against the Lakers as their last game of this half of the schedule. So the Lakers have to be ready to ready to fight in that one and, and come in with a good game plan, come in ready to play. Maybe we see some deeper bench guys get some run. Maybe we see Damian Jones or THT or Wes Matthews or Markeith Morris, like some of those guys or Dennis Schroeder, some players who were kind of waiting for some, some like standout performances from recently to, to be able to deliver some of those. So yeah, let's, let's see how we can finish this, finish strong. And and we'll be back at you probably record late this week, early next week and have, have something out during the all-star break around just evaluating this half of the season and looking forward to the second half. Like me and 0.05% of Twitter is going to have a meltdown in the Tyrese Halliburton, Alex Caruso (laughs) matchup. And just watching those guys, like, I'm not kidding. If those guys guard each other, I'm watching that matchup on both sides of the court for as long yeah. as possible. That's going to be a fun one. Halliburton's been great. His, so, uh, I think he's up to, like, hell yeah. first or second offensive impact among rookies this year. He's He's been killing it. Good stuff, man. Well, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for now and uh, listen back in next week for that uh, midseason review, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.